Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On September 26, 2020, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed SB 132, the Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act, into law. The act requires the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, CDCR, to house trans people in prisons in accordance with their own perception of health and safety. The act also requires that prison officials privately ask each newly arriving person their gender identity, their pronouns, and whether they identify as trans, non-binary, or intersex. The new law mandates that prison staff and volunteers use the correct gender pronouns and conduct searches for each person in accordance to the CDCR's search policy for their gender identity, meaning that a trans woman in a men's prison can request to be searched by a female officer. SB 132 also requires CDCR to house people in gendered prison according to their preference, with some exceptions. Trans women in men's prisons are 13 times more likely to be sexually assaulted than cisgender men. According to data provided by CDCR, over 50% report fearing for their safety if they report harassment, discrimination, or violence. SB 132 only applies to California state prisons. Trans, intersex, and non-binary people incarcerated in other states or in federal prison, still face being housed according to their genitalia or their gender assigned at birth. Up next, we have a piece sent to us by our friends at Perilous Chronicle about the ongoing hunger strike in California. In the southern part of California's Central Valley, about halfway between Bakersfield and Fresno, sits Kokorin, California a small farming town surrounded on all sides by acres of cotton and tomato fields. Perched at the southern tip of this small agricultural community is two of the state's largest prisons, whose involuntary occupants are counted as residents of the town in the U.S. Census. Together, their denizens make up about 33% of the town's population. One of the facilities, the California Substance Abuse Treatment Facility, CSATF, is the state's single largest prison, housing 4,481 prisoners, about 130% of its intended capacity. At the end of October, in the midst of a rapidly spreading COVID-19 epidemic at the facility, a small group of prisoners in D-Yard have announced a work stoppage and hunger strike in protest of what they consider to be the institution's failure to protect them from the spread of a virus from which they have no means to protect themselves. Quote, I have lost all hope in humanity because of how California and CDCR has failed to protect individuals like myself, wrote David S. Coffin Jr., a prisoner at CSATF who says he is currently on day 14 of his hunger strike. In an email to Perilous, Coffin explained that the purpose of the protest is to draw attention 
to the spread of COVID-19 at the facility and to protest staff misconduct. Quote, the primary goal is to set a constitutional standard on CDCR and all of its officers, staff members, and medical personnel, Coffin wrote. California and the CDCR cannot expect inmates to follow the law as it relates to correctional officers giving orders, while all the while officers are breaking the rules that say CDCR must protect prisoners against any harm to life or themselves, end quote. The Kokoran Treatment Facility is home to the California prison system's largest active COVID-19 outbreak, with 502 active cases and counting. On Wednesday, the number of positive cases at the facility jumped by almost 100 in a single day. Of the total number of COVID-19 cases at the facility, 482 have been diagnosed in the last 14 days, according to statistics maintained by the California Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, CDCR. There is reason to fear that the true magnitude of the prison's outbreak is not reflected in these statistics. Estimates of false negatives produced by PCR testing range from 20% to 67%, depending on the stage of illness at which patients are tested. In one study, researchers called the rates of false negatives they found shockingly high. Given this reality, it is statistically likely that at least 764, or 20%, of the 3,823 prisoners at CSATF tested in the last 14 days, were given false negatives. If so, it's likely that at least 28% of prisoners at the facility are currently infected with COVID-19, and the true number could be much higher. Late last week, the strikers released their list of demands to the prisoner support group Oakland Abolition and Solidarity. Their demands include... 1. Universal and voluntary testing available to everyone in the facility, with results provided immediately. 2. Restore safe programming and basic necessities, namely law library, access to telephones, showers, dormitory cleaning supplies, hot meals, and canteen. 3. Create mechanisms of accountability by which independent family and supporters on the outside have visibility on CDCR's plans and actions during and after an outbreak like this. According to Coffin, officials at CSATF have visited the strikers in order to resolve their demands, but have refused to officially recognize the strike. Officials at CDCR did not promptly respond to requests for comment. As the strike enters its third week, the safety and health of the strikers may be in jeopardy in the absence of serious efforts toward resolution on the part of prison staff. Quote, the hunger strike will last until we notice our physical health taking a turn for the worse, Coffin wrote. But even once we do begin eating, our work strike will continue and members will fail to perform work for corrections, end quote. For our main topic this week, we return to stories of electronic monitoring, also known as e-carceration. Nicole Siegel talks to Cody, who says he spent about half his life locked up. He's just 26 now and spent time in Pendleton Correctional Facility and Wabash Valley, both in Indiana. He tells Siegel firsthand about e-carceration's disruption to work, financial, and family life. He talks about the new ankle bracelets, which he describes as the size of a soda can, and also the traps used by the system to return people to incarceration based on technical violations, and also the consistent confusion on both sides of e-carceration regarding how the process actually works. 
His story shows us some of the challenges facing those who get released, including burdens on household members, untenable accumulation of fines, and more. Here they are. The reason why I was even on house arrest and you had went to prison, long story short, I was with some, some guys like doing uh, shady things. And I ended up getting charged with armed robbery for like being there. Yeah, just being there. So I got out and uh, kind of quickly violated due to like an altercation I had with somebody. So I violated and um, they went to jail and I got back out and they put me back on. I don't know if you want to get into everything uh, on the first interview, but it's like kind of crazy how they did what they did to me. Actually. I'm not interested in the details of like crimes, but I'm yeah. very interested in the details of the system and how it worked and how you fit into it. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to touch on like my recent uh, like house raiding by the Shelby Police Probation. Was, they raided your house? Yes, and I've never had drug offenses to the point where like they needed to raid. Like I don't cook dope. Like it wasn't a dope house. Like it was just a house I lived with my sister and her two kids. Like it was a home. Nothing was going on. I've never had a history of that either. So they like, like the most recent, you know, how probation – uh, house arrest search. They like cordoned off the block on this little street. And we didn't know this was happening because usually, you know, house arrest comes over like once every few days. We'll just knock on the door. And because of COVID, they would just like, hey, you know, step out, check the bracelet, make sure it's being in charge and be like, everything good. Okay. And they'd leave. They'd be there like two minutes. This time, though, like cordoned off the block, parked down the street and walked up to the backyard, to the back door, knocked like a normal person. <laughs> No cop knocking on. We're like, okay. So we like open the door and they just full on ran in, like put me in handcuffs and was like tearing up the house, oh. talking about they're doing a probation search. And uh, Did they the time, damage things in the house? No, no, they didn't damage things. They nearly damaged my AirPods. I had some AirPods in because uh, I was upstairs my, and my phone was upstairs. So when I realized what was going on, I was like, you know, you guys are really aggressive and, uh, like, I, I would like to record this. Is that, is that, can I do that? And they were like, oh, no, you're just going to sit right here in handcuffs. Like, you're not allowed to record. All I had was AirPods in, so I was trying to tell, like, Siri to record, just audio at least. And I was trying to make a phone call, telling Siri who to call. And, uh, like, the officer right there had heard that. And he literally, like, snatched my AirPod out of my ear and threw it off into the other room. Like, I was like, dude, you guys are really, I was calm. I was like, you guys are really on some bullshit here, you know? And I don't know why no one here is. Uh, doing anything wrong we're, we're allowing you to do this crap you're doing we just want to record it while you do it yeah and then my like my sister baby was crying and she ran down the stairs twisted her ankle but they didn't give it they wasn't like trying to let her her phone was her phone her own personal phone and she's not even on probation i just live with her. so her phone was ringing and the officer was like no don't answer that phone don't touch that phone stuff like that and i'm like what the hell is this it's just, it was crazy. And I ended up going to jail that day. You know, they found like two grams of marijuana yeah, in there. And I was like, hey, it's mine. You know, they took me to jail. And I just went to court for that last week. And the prosecutor actually wrecked 90 days in jail for it. Yeah. Thankfully, they got like one like sincere judge in this county that was like, uh -huh. and this guy's been through a lot. Like, right, we're not, I'm not about to send you to jail today for like two grams of weed. The prosecutor was pissed, obviously, about me the judge going against his recommendation. Have you seen these new bracelets that they use or have heard about them? Um, maybe not. Tell me. But yeah, it's about the size of the pop can. Which is enormous. 
Yeah, it's, it's huge and it hurts. Well, why is it going bigger? Isn't the trend of technology always going Every, smaller? Yeah, everything else on in, on the planet is being micronized and they're minimizing the space they use for these things. Okay, so why? Well, this doesn't make sense either because phones are even getting smaller, but there's literally a phone inside the house arrest bracelet that they put on me. In my so when you say bracelet, does it actually go around your wrist or does it go around your ankle? No, it, it goes on your ankle. Okay, so how do you get your pants on over it? Uh, <laughs> it's hard. Uh, you know, there's certain kinds of clothing that, like, if you yeah. were new, happened to like a certain kind of pants, you just couldn't wear them. No. Also, you can't. It's hard. You can't wear high tops with them on either because. Uh, oh right, right. Because how low the this sits, uh, you know, and it'll like smash into your shoe and like really mess up your ankle. Uh, but they can call you on it at any time. They've done it to me. They've done it to me at my job. It goes beep, 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 and then they'll hop on the box and start talking to me and saying, your bracelet's saying it's being tempered. What's going on? And I'm like, what do you mean what's going on? I'm at work, dude. You guys are, like, exposing me right now at work. Like, I can get fired for even being on house arrest. You know what I mean? What are you doing? Can, they, um, <clears throat> can they turn it on and listen to you, too? See, that's, that's the big thing that me and my uh, roommate have talked about. Like, we understand that they're not supposed to do it whenever they want to. But we also understand that what's to stop them from listening whenever they want to because really there's no it's Shelby County there's no oversight there's nobody telling them hey you can't like they could be sitting in their office at any time being like what's this guy up to right now and just start listening they could be listening to your sister's kids yeah anything any any kind of weird thing that they want they could be listening to and then yeah it's uh yeah it's not it's very weird it's very uh very uncomfortable feeling knowing you're like walking around with a, like a wire at all times. You know what I mean? Like a oh yeah, invasion, total invasion of privacy. Like it already has your GPS pinpoint up to like a foot of accuracy on it. Do they really need to? Do they really need to have a phone in there too? Like we already have our own phones that they can call and they have our numbers, but yet they still want to call our bracelet where we got to pull our ankle up to our face and talk to them. That's the first cell phone ever made. It looks like. Yeah, it's huge. I'd be really curious to know what company it is, if it's a new company, because sometimes the tech drives the practice, you know, because the company makes it, they offer it to a county, they give them some discounts, they give them a a bunch of the devices, maybe as like a pilot, hey, try these out. It'd be interesting to know what the involvement of the manufacturer was. My my roommate, actually, he's been on it for years and still has years left. And he said total, he owed them like, 40 grand or something like he just paid like two weeks ago like and we're six grand toward his like fees and he's been paying it for years you know yeah this stuff is really expensive when you were on it how much did it cost it's 15 dollars a day i think it's horrible but to a lot of people it doesn't sound bad but like you're like caught up with like working and then your bills come in and then you're like oh i also owe these people over a hundred dollars just for this week i'm literally paying to electronically monitor me. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. And were there other costs? I mean, you have to have a cell phone, right? So you have costs yeah. associated with keeping your cell phone service going. Was there a startup fee? Like Yeah, yeah. There was a, some kind of administration fee, some kind of hookup fee to, for them to just put it on me, which took like five minutes. But it cost me like, I don't remember, like 25 or 50 bucks or something like that. It's, it's really strange how they do it too because the drug hotline, you have to call a drug uh, hotline every day. And uh, they tell you whether you test or not. 
But if you don't call, even on a day where you don't need to test, you know what I mean? Like you forget to call or something, like you're getting up early in the morning, you go to work, you totally yeah. space it. That's a violation. Though. They call it they call a technical violation that can send you back to prison. But see, on probation, you get from like five in the morning all the way to like one fifty nine p.m. You know, a pretty good window, which is what I'm on now, just probation. When I was on house arrest, it's five a.m. to seven a.m. You can call. So literally two hours, which is times where like my roommate isn't even getting ready for work. He's still asleep. He has to set an alarm, get up, call that number, and go back to sleep for another hour or two before work. Oh, poor guy. Yeah, it's just like, a, why would you have a two-hour window early in the morning when no one even is even at that office yet? You know, like, it doesn't make sense. That's just a way to catch people up on a violation. It seems, it seems that way, right? Yeah. Like, about how often would they say, yes, you have to do it when you call the number? Actually, I've only had a test once. I have to call every day. But, like, I, I would say that it should be, you know, they call us if we have a test a day. Not we have to call every day just to be told you don't test it if you like. And your charges had nothing to do with drugs or alcohol, right? No, so I've, the, I've, I've one time been charged with a possession of marijuana, which was like a quarter ounce back in 2013, you know, from something that happened in 2012 where I went to prison. I got caught with a little bit of weed. Besides that, I've never had a drug offense. I've never been a drug user. I've never sold drugs, none of that. You were telling me on the phone, Shelbyville, it, it has now split its probation and house arrest departments into two separate departments? Yeah. So they have a building called Community Corrections, which is focused on house arrest and you know, whatever else they do there, which I don't, seems to be everybody's on house arrest. Yeah. That building is right by the jail, actually. And then it used to be inside like the same floor as probation, like probation, you know, house arrest thing. But mm -hmm. years ago, it's been some years now, years ago, they split it and put it into some other building. Well, that expanded, so they had to move it into a bigger building. Now probation's expanding, so now they're like temporarily in some building right now while this fancy new big department for probation is being built. So both probation and community corrections slash house arrest had expanded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not, this is not a story of the um, criminal justice system in this county contracting no. widening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and what about like, are there fewer people in the jail? Do you know? I actually don't know. It seems to be about the same as usual. Uh, a couple hundred at any time. It's a small county, but there's like a couple hundred in jail at any time. So it's not like community corrections and probation have allowed them to diminish the number of people in the jail. Oh, no. That number has remained constant while the number of people on these other in these other forms have just grown. Yeah. They say that they've been making these programs for like jail diversion and stuff, but they don't hardly use it. And when they do, it's it's while you're in jail that you do go through these types of programs. So you got out, um, did you get like a sentence modification or did you just come out and go immediately onto probation? How did it work for you? Yeah, so as part of my plea agreement, I was uh have to serve my sentence and once I'm released I have to turn myself into probation and house arrest to be further monitored by them. So, yeah, it wasn't a no any modification. It was just, it was part of a plea agreement that I signed in 2013 before I went in. So when I got out, yeah, they, they uh, I had to call them and uh, you know, surrender myself to their monitoring. Huh. 
That's it's interesting because you're using the same language that you would use if you actually were going into a physical prison, like to surrender yeah. oneself is to go to the place, yeah. right? And then to be subject to it. It's very telling. So so you came out in what year? 2013, you signed that plea agreement. You, when'd you come out? I came out this year in May. May 2020. And so you were on probation, but you were also on house arrest. Yeah. And how were the two regimes different? Typically, they function similarly. It's just some of the rules are, are different. So you, were, you had to do drug tests for both? Uh, I guess uh, community corrections or well, the house arrest that I was on was through probation, which they didn't even really understand what was going on. So I was under community correction supervision, but it was under the direction of probation, but they never communicated. So I, there would be things I would be telling my asterisk officer. She'd be like, I don't know why probation hasn't said this. I'm like, I don't know. You guys should be knowing this. Like, I'm just your guys' victim. I'm not like orchestrating what you guys should be doing. Like, like okay, like I would move, right? I moved a couple of times when I first got out. And I told community corrections. And I would then again, because I forgot, I, did, I thought they communicated, you know, it was on through them. They didn't tell probation. So probation is looking like, oh, they could technically violate me. And they were kind of about it. And I'm like, I didn't know I needed to call them and you. Like, this is crazy. Why don't I call one of you and then one of you tell the other? Like, I'm on GPS monitoring. So I figured I just needed to call house arrest because I'm on house arrest. They should know where I'm at. I didn't know I needed to call them. And then also you, who I don't even ever talk to uh, about anything. It was just, a, it was a very easy way to get caught up uh, it was confusing. They were confused. They didn't even say as much. Like, this is confusing. I don't know why they got you on both. Be one or the other. I was like, yes, I don't know. I'm paying fees for both. But really, I'm only being monitored by house arrest. Probation is just like sitting back. And I'm on their caseload, but nothing's going on. I don't understand. So the, the latest violation I told you about with the when they yeah. raided the house, yeah. uh, once I got out from jail for that, um, they actually didn't put me back on house arrest. Technically, I'm supposed to, was supposed to still serve house arrest for six months. I only did four. I guess the court, the prosecutor in the court or whatever, I told probation and house arrest that they don't want me back on it. I've already racked up two violations and that they're going to figure this out in court because yeah. they filed a revocation of probation, oh, uh, no. which would, you know, that, you know what a revocation. Probation I think you're going back to. Yeah, they filed that. So I'm fighting that oh. in court right now. But meanwhile, I'm not on house arrest because they like basically I feel like they're like you're going back you know, anyway as soon as this process is through uh, so we're not you know do you feel like um those violations are um were, were somehow the result of being on house arrest oh for sure because ever since they oh. took the bracelet off I haven't I you know I I was smoking you know, a little weed when I first got out to like self-medicate to deal with like, you know, being, having eight years in prison since I was a teenager coming out here. It's like all the way to the, the stress of like job, you know, vehicle fees and bills and never being able to, uh, to leave the house. It shit got hectic there. So I was like smoking. But ever since I've been off house arrest, I haven't been, I've been like doing really well, actually. So your two violations were both about marijuana. It, it was a self-medicating. Yeah. You no, know, I had, a, I had gotten into like a, at work. Oh, right, you got into a little altercation. Yeah, like a defensive altercation turned into be like, I, be, I, became, I looked like the aggressor. So like I violated on that, but that that's already handled. Probation is a little different though. Like I have a, 
I have a decent probation officer, like, and she's really, she's not like, she's kind of working with me throughout this, these new charges instead of like, oh, you're done. You know what I mean? Because technically probation can have you arrested at any time if they feel you violated. It was mostly just like community correction that was like wanting me, well, house arrest wanting me to go back. So community corrections was more punitive. Oh, yes. Probation. Yes. Two times I didn't even know about. They filed for a change of placement through the courts, which means a change from placement on community, uh, house arrest, home detention, what they call it, to jail. And both times... Uh, probation like overrode that and was like no you guys are under us you guys don't tell us what to do probation and community corrections has like a, a beef thing they do even though they're supposed to work together to like help people is what they say but you know that's the case but so they have like a uh, some kind of turf war going on yeah exactly exactly because even in court the prosecutor was like what do we do about this uh change of placement that community corrections filed and like they literally probation and the prosecutor like these people are funding they're trying to do too much or something like that wow that kind of incoherence at the local level of the state is so interesting yeah it's confusing to me it's like i'm it's supposed confusing. to be i just want to do what i'm supposed to do so i can get off this tell me about what the uh, effect has been on the people you've been living with i know you mentioned your mom early on and you mentioned your sister and her kids and you also mentioned your roommate, you know, so, and you've moved a few times. You've had a few different living situations, right? Yeah. What, what has it been like for the people that you've been living with to have you on house arrest and the ankle shackle? Well, I mean, they haven't uh, said as much, but I feel as much like it gets like stressful on them even. Like they feel like because they could, you, they could break it at any time and raise your house like they've already done. Like they feel like there's certain things they can't do or say or have at the house, like, or, you know, be free at any time in their own home because they're like, I could be doing this or like half dressed or something one time, you know, laying laying back, you know, watching a movie or whatever. And then you, they just bust in and they're like, hey, we're doing a, we're doing a search. And that's, that's, that's an uncomfortable thought to have, you know? And the fact that they told me that I wasn't allowed to do any of my own shopping as long as I was in a home with somebody who had a license and a vehicle, they must do it for me. So the fact that people had to like deliver me food or wow. hygiene products if I needed them or like right. take me to work or anything like that. Like, but they, I couldn't, you know I mean? It, there was, they wouldn't allow it any other way. So they're, so they're actually making rules about the people that you live with. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. That's kind of how they feel, you know, someone's in a home that's on house arrest and they're allowing them to like be, do their house arrest there especially me just getting out of prison I didn't have my own money or my own property I had to start all over so I had to live with people they had to help me because I have to have a place to live to do house arrest if I didn't have a place I lived to do house arrest I would have had to stay in prison did you know people on the inside who couldn't take an offer of house arrest because they didn't have a house oh yeah that, that happened a lot. Yeah, that happened a lot, actually. Um, yeah, they had to serve longer of their sentence than they would have within prison due to the fact that they'd had no placement. And that's even more true here in Shelby County now because they used to have like a work release program, mm -hmm. you know, where essentially you could, they would put you in that if you didn't have a place to do house arrest. So you could still, you know, go to work and, you know, you'd have to go back to jail at night, but you still could, you know, right. there was that program. Now they've taken that out. There's no work release in Shelby County anymore. And it's not due to, due to COVID, like it's just due, they've done away with the program entirely. So um, house arrest has really replaced that. They... Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it creates like an even more striated system, like levels within levels of, of, of inequality, basically, right? Like people who have less are punished more. Special thanks to Perilous Chronicle. You can learn more about their work at perilouschronicle.com. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.